Vix, it's a pleasure to have you back on DevQ. How are you doing today? I'm great, and I'm delighted to be back. It's been a while. Yeah, it definitely has. Time flies, though, too. You know, so it does. really happy to have you back on for another episode. And it's especially important because, you know, many people, unfortunately, are dealing with very severe personal economic situations right now. Yeah. I, a lot of it has to do on a macro level, then kind of trickling down to individuals ability to survive day to day, you know, on their personal finances being impacted, you know, what will be it inflation hits, you know, energy costs, everything, you know, the, the added stress that brings upon an individual person or a family can be tremendous. So we're going to focus on this episode on how people can hone in on what they spend, how they spend it, and maybe just shed a little bit of, you know, insight into you know, keep it under control, especially through difficult times, you know? So for people who are getting to know you for the first time, Vix, can you just please introduce yourself, who you are, what you do, and how and in which way you decide to help people? Yeah, great. Yeah. So I'm Vix, Vix Monroe, as you introduced, as you introduced me. So I'm originally from New Zealand and I'm currently here in the UK and I've been here a long time. I've been around for quite a while. And my background's actually in accountancy and economics, though I'm now working as a money wealth coach. And I primarily, but not 100%, work with women and basically helping them stop living paycheck to paycheck to start investing so they can create and grow wealth um, so that they can retire rich. And by rich, I mean their definition of rich. You know, it doesn't mean that you have millions in the bank. It's so that you can kind of live the life you want in the future. And I'm not all about, um, you know, some personal finance experts are all about being really, really frugal now, putting everything away for the future. I'm about trying to balance that so you can have a good time now and in the future. When you talk about people's own definitions of personal financial freedom, does that mean like, because some people think, okay, financial freedom, I never have to work again. Is that what you mean by that? like from your perspective personally yeah Uh yeah, i mean by financial freedom i mean that and also retirement i think in some ways that the terms can be used interchangeably because you know i talk about retire rich and by retire it doesn't mean you have to stop active work but it means if you choose to stop active work you can and a lot of people are financially free and you see a lot of people talking about being financially free and yet they're still working doing some form of active work but because they want to and because they choose to, not because they need to. So I think that's something really important about the definition because I hear some people say, well, they can't be financially free, they're still working. But you know, for some people, a lot of their purpose is tied up with what they do. You see a lot of these billionaires, Warren Buffett, for example, you know, he's in his 90s and he's still at it. Big he definitely is financially free. I mean, he's worth billions, but he absolutely loves what he does, and, and that's a great thing. So it could mean it could be a, like a dual thing where, you know, you have saved up enough money in which like if you were to get sacked the next day, it wouldn't impact you, you know, paying bills, paying mortgage, that kind of thing. Yeah. However, you, you could also at that point, if you've saved up enough to, you know, like have that ability for the freedom and the, the way in which you go about your life and want to go about your life you can also do something else 
that you truly enjoy because we all have desires we don't want to stay idle i think so it kind of feeds more you're you're right actually because a lot of people that you know particularly in the fire movement you know the financially independent retire early movement a lot of them have kind of retired from traditional jobs um but they still do something they love so they have a passion project which they then try and monetize because why not but i think the other thing about financial freedom i think is you know, people sometimes say to me, how much money do I need to have to be financially free? Well, it's a very individual thing, isn't it? It depends how you want to live your life. If you're happy with living in a little cottage in the countryside and growing vegetables, then you need a lot less money than someone who wants to be going on international holidays all the time. So it's a very, very personal thing about what financial freedom means or or what being rich means. So Yeah, do you think it has to do more with like, okay, my lifestyle is this. This is how much it would cost per month, and then gauge it from yeah. there. Basically, like the, look at. Yeah, it I mean that's what I tell people to do. I mean, there's a rule of thumb, like how much money do you need to be financially free? And there's a rule of thumb, which is twenty five times your annual expenses. Um, if you're a little bit older, if you're doing it when you're a bit younger, you might want to look at thirty three times your annual expenses, and that's based on the rule of the four percent rule. It means that if you then withdraw four, you're investing that. And you take out four percent each year, um, which will, you know, which is what it's based on. Then that will give you enough to cover your annual expenses and enough until the end of your days. So there is a, a formula. It's yeah. crude because you know things happen. We get inflation, um, which could be high. So you might want to up that a bit. It depends on how much buffer you want to have as well. Yeah, inflation uh, expenses depending on or uh, fees depend on how your money's being invested, and then you take it yeah. out of that taxes, all of it. So, but yes, but for yeah, sure, so many considerations. But that's kind of a crude rule of thumb, which is mm-hmm. you know something people can work with. And most of the clients I come to are like, what are their probably main debt concerns, especially in these times? Like, what are they coming with to say, hey, Vix, you know, I need help and guidance to get out of this hole that I've Doug or Doug with someone else, whatever it might be. But what are some of the main line items expenses that they just seem to not be able to get under control? And how do you guide them through that? Yeah, I think what I see in debt here in the UK, I see less student loans what than what you might see in the US, because in the US, people tend to have student loans for like a long period of time. I see a lot less of that here. I think what I see a lot of is actually credit card debt. Um, and loans generally, quite often car loans, and sometimes mortgage arrears, but less, less so as kind of mortgage arrears. I'm, I'm, and most of the women, I I'm, tend to work, as I said, with women, and most of them are maybe in their 40s on average. So they have had some time to put money away. But I quite often also see women who may be coming from a relationship breakdown or just after divorce. So sometimes because they've sold the family home, in fact, they don't have debt. They've actually sold the family home, paid off a mortgage, and they have a bit of money put aside. Then it's like, well, I don't have a home. What should I do? Should I take on a new debt? So it, it, it varies, really. But from a debt perspective, I'd say just mostly loans, car loans, and some credit card debt. And what are the main ways in which you guide them to tackle and which items tackle first like because obviously you want to tackle the debt that's not going to keep compounding 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 and just dig a bigger hole how do you guide them in that way well actually the very first thing i say to to tackle first is actually anything to do with their living situation so if it's mortgage arrears or rent arrears or utility bills energy bills because what they don't want is 
you know, to have their living situation compromised, to, you know, lose their home, um, be kicked out of their home by their landlord or have their energy turned off, um, that kind of stuff. So that's kind of like top priority. And then after that, I say, well, actually, there's two things, two ways to look at it. So what I what I kind of teach them is that there's two really two methods for paying off your debt if you want if you want to tackle your debt. So the first one is the most economically efficient one, and it's called the avalanche method. And it's when you basically list all your debts in order of interest rate. So the highest interest rate at the top. And this is actually particularly important at the moment because we're in a situation of rising interest rates around the world. And you then what you do is, you know, you make the minimum payments or the monthly payments that are required. And then you put any surplus money you've got to pay towards your debt, towards that debt with the highest interest rate. And that's the most economically efficient way to pay off your debt. But the thing where that falls down, though, is if people get a bit overwhelmed, you know, it might be a, that could be a big debt. It could take a long time. They might stop doing it. So the other method is what is called the snowball method. And it's where you list your debts this time in order of the lowest balance first. So you pay the smallest debt off first, regardless of the interest rate. And the advantage of this method is that you get a psychological win quite quickly. So it I, really depends on your personality. So what I try and do with my clients who are in debt um, is try and understand from them which which person they are. Are they the person that's going to be encouraged to keep going? Because that's what it's really about, isn't it, paying debt? You don't want to just pay it for one month and then like, oh, I'm not going to pay it this month now. You want them to keep going. So if they're going to be encouraged by a small psychological win, by having one debt ticked off, then that snowball method's better for them, even though it's not the most economically efficient. Because if it's a method that they're not going to stick to, it's definitely not economically efficient, is it? But and if but if they're a person who's you know more um, encouraged by numbers and the fact that actually paying the debt with the highest interest rate first means that they're going to spend less money overall, then I would encourage them to use that method. So there's no particular method I use. I I always say it depends on the person's personality and what will work for, for them. Because what we want is them to actually be able to to pay to be able to pay off their debt. This is a very important point, and I want to touch on that a bit more. So. Um... Really, I think the way in which we see money, each person's not really not the same, right? Like yeah. it's we're all so extremely unique and we think, you know, there's no one right answer for managing our money based on how we want to live in our lifestyle and everything else. So just very hypothetical, if someone comes to you, part of them is really concerned about the debt they've accumulated, let's say a lot. But let's say also the very compulsive buyer, like they they see purchasing whatever it may be as something that makes them feel good, you know, inside, like feels fills an emotional gap or something like that, right? Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of that as well in the world. Yeah, you know, we absolutely. Talk about emotional spending, don't we? Emotional eating, emotional spending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, a lot of people do that. And if he, I've, known, it, I've done it myself, so <laughs> no, for sure. And really, like I'm, I'm not trying to berate that um, way of doing things in any means. However, like it's a weird sort of dichotomy if someone's going to you and the part of them's like, okay, I really want to get out of debt. But as soon as I get off my call with you, I'm going to go and purchase like 10 things. Right. So, so I mean, do you, when you work with people and really, um, 
in the way in which you help guide them with their finances, debt, expenses, everything else? Is there a part of you that maybe helps understand them individually like that and try to keep them really like in, in rain or sort of accountable for, um, tracking that they stay on the right path or how do you deal with that? Yeah, it's a bit, there's a couple of things here, I think. So first of all, is you've really picked up on the emotional side of money, haven't you? This kind of, you know, emotional spending. So what I tend to do is I talk to them about the debt cycle and talk to them about their spending and the fact that it's emotional spending and try and get them to look back at, you know, when they started doing this, what was happening in their lives. Is there something that, you know, is there something that triggers them? You know, when, so if they're saying, oh, I just want to go off and buy this, like, why? Why do you want to buy that? How is that going to make you feel? And, you know, a lot of the, and then I get them to look at maybe some of their, I like to get them to look at their previous expenditure. So to track their expenditure, so maybe look at the expenditure for the last month and look at everything and say, okay, what did you spend? What was a need? So, you know, if you're spending money on your rent or your mortgage or your gas bill, that's a need. And what was it? That was a want. That was like discretionary expenditure. And I'm I'm not one of these people that's, you know, you've got to be really frugal. You've got to scrimp and say, save. Everything's about the future. I try with my clients to get them to, you know, be able to spend money on things they really, really want, have a good time now, knowing that they're putting away enough for the future. So when I get them to look at their spending, I get them to rate it on a scale of 1 to 10 in terms of how much joy or how much pleasure that brought them. In a kind of Marie Kondo kind of way, and that's what Marie Kondo does, doesn't it? You know, this is his jumper. You know, how do you rate it? Are you going to keep it? It doesn't bring you much joy. If not, why have you got it? Why is it taking up space and energy in your home? We're going to, you know, give it to someone else who will love it more. And I try and get my clients to do that. They're spending. And and it works really well, actually, because sometimes they'll go through and they'll say, oh, that was a two. You know, I, I bought something. It was a two. It didn't bring me any joy. I mean, I've even had someone say once, which actually is a negative one or something, because not only did it not give them joy, they never used it. It just sat in a cupboard or something for a couple of weeks. Um, But it said it actually had a negative impact because exactly what you're saying, it, it pushed them further into debt. So that exercise is actually quite powerful because it gets people to actually think about their spending And is it aligned with their values? Is it aligned with the things that they value and the things that bring them joy or bring them pleasure? And if it's a nine, then it's kind of like, okay, that's great. And so what I try and do with my clients is get them to come up with, rather than a really strict budget, because, you know, a bit like strict diets, I don't think strict budgets work. I kind of talk about having a conscious spending plan where you do have some money um, allocated to whether, you know, I talk about having money in pots, different pots for different things. So you'll have your living costs in one pot and you might have, well, I, for example, have a travel pot because I love to travel. I've just told you <laughs> before I'm going to Portugal on Wednesday. Um, you might have a clothes pot. You might have a fun pot. So, you know, you've got to, and then you allocate yourself a bit of money in your fun pot, even if you're, you're paying debt, because I just don't think people can sustain paying off debt without having a little bit of fun. Okay, you're going to have less money in that fun pot than if you weren't in debt, but you've got to have something to look forward to to keep yourself going. So, and as I said, it's a really powerful exercise because it gets people to think about it. And then if you allocate yourself a fun pot for the month, say, or it could be a week, depending on how you operate, if you see something you want to have fun, you say, okay, well, I could spend my fun pot on that. 
but it's week one and then it's utilized and I can't do anything else for week three. Or I could just spend a little bit of that and have a little bit each week. And it's about then also understanding trade-offs because spending is always about trade-offs. If you spend money on yourself now, it's money you're not putting towards your future self. If you spend money on, you know, a, a nice dinner tonight, well, that's maybe a movie you can't go to two nights later. So there's always a trade-off and it's making a trade-offs that work for you so that you spend money on things that actually you think that, you know, I really enjoyed that year. It cost me 20 pounds, but actually that was a really good night. And I, you know, that was worth 20 pounds to me. Yeah. And I think that's really um, inter interesting sort of visualization. I have my mind about when you say the the pots for each of these things, right? Because yeah, you, you can don't have want a row of pots. It's kind of, a, it's also, you know, it's a bit like getting your ducks in a row, isn't it? I mean, you could mm -hmm. say the little ducks, but, you know, little pots. And, you know, in the olden days, you would have had, you know, my mum had this, you know, she had these old housekeeping tins and it had little things and there'd be cash in them. And one would be, um, I don't know, for supermarket and one would be something else. And there was about eight little rows. But, you know, nowadays you can do it within your banks. I mean, um, and in the UK, I'm not sure about other countries, but in the UK, we have these challenger banks and there's a bank called Starling and a bank called Monzo and they're kind of challenger banks, they're kind of new digital banks. And I bank with Starling. And one of the things I love about them is their app is they have, you can move money from your main account still in your main account but you kind of move it out so you can't see it and they call it spaces with starling but it's effectively a pot so i can move money out and say okay that's to pay my tax you know put money aside i'm self-employed i have to pay personal tax so that's every month i put money into my tax um pot or every money i put some into my travel pot and on the app then i look at my main account all that's left is pretty much my living expenses and then when i pay something from my travel account, I just transfer it from my, it takes a second, I transfer it from my travel pot back into main account so I can spend it. And and nowadays, you know, the banks are are setting up for for their customers to follow this kind of method. And, well, it, and it works really well. I, I love mean, it. No, I think it's great because well, there's two things there. One, I, I would say, especially in these times, uh, probably much more in the future, we're so ingrained in our devices and our technology applications you know this is mm -hmm. like it's really like a part of our body now it seems like for many people so it, the more like in this aspect of our life with finances and the way we manage our money and everything else like the more user-friendly that becomes i would say really the better and also the quote-unquote fun of it fun meaning yeah you know, the, the interaction and the interface with, okay, you're doing this, you're moving here, da, da, da. I mean, the thing is because people, I think oftentimes want to just forget about how their money is or how they spend it or this yeah. or that, because it's just like, oh, well, it doesn't entice them enough in many ways, unfortunately, you know? Um, yeah. And the other thing is about it is obviously you have a pot, which is saving and investment. So that's about your future self. Because what, and I think that's one thing I find with a lot of my clients is they are not putting enough money, if any money, into that kind of future self pot, the savings and investment pot. And what I see a lot of is that, you know, people make money, they have an income, whether it's from employment or from their own business. And then they kind of operate on an energetic zero um, level, which is basically the money comes in and they just spend everything in the month pretty much living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, it's very common and particularly in the UK and you get, 
you know, people earning high salaries here in the UK, and I'm sure it's the same in other Western countries as well, who live paycheck to paycheck, everything is spent. And, yeah. you know, that's kind of like they're living with this energetic zero. And within this pot system, you kind of um, provide a method where you can pay yourself first because, you know, when on the day your income comes in, you put a bit of money into that future self pot, which is savings and investment. And you can either do it by um, happening. The question I'm going to answer now is, you know, how do you work out how much money to put in each pot? Well, you can either do it by tracking your money, looking at what you spent for the last three months, how that allocation would work out, but then actually go back through it and say, but actually I've already said that was a bad purchase and that was a bad purchase. And when I look at this, I didn't have enough funds. So I'm going to put a bit more in there. Or some people do it by a percentage, you know, they work out that their living costs are 50% and 10% for saving investment or 10% for fun or, or whatever it is they do. But And sometimes it's trial and error. You know, you might it might take a while. It might take a few months until you're really comfortable with how you're running your pot system. So, you know, if you don't get it right the first time, no problem. I mean, whatever works best for you and, like, works best on the analytical side and also the emotional side of it, right? And yeah. if those two things kind of synergize, probably the better, you know, for each Yeah, and you said person. something really good earlier, which was basically about, you know, every person's different. And, you know, even the word personal finance has the, you know, finance is preceded by the word personal. So it, it has to be personal to you and you have to make it work for you. Absolutely. And... um I'm curious as well, like when your clients come to you and they're talking about this issue with debt and expenses, and let's say the person coming to you is really to try and take it seriously, but let's say if they're living with somebody who really just doesn't care about finances and compulsively yeah. spends and this and that. And obviously that relationship is paramount to, you know, someone's life, <laughs> the the family or the, the, you know, couple's lifestyle, like how do, how do you then maybe guide or maybe help them in such a way that they truly want the help, but their financial situations also depends on someone else? How does that come into play? That, yeah, I mean, that's really tricky. And, you know, um, I'm sure the stats are the same all around the world. But, you know, money issues are like, either, I think it's the number one reason for relationship breakdown or divorce or things like that. So it is very difficult. And... But, I mean, the main thing I say is it's about communication. So they need to be able to communicate with their partner about their needs and they need to have shared goals. And, you know, and it's about kind of creating a way forward. And it also really depends on how they manage their money in that relationship, whether it's, um, you know, 100% shared, so everything is shared together, whether it's, you know, 100% separate or I suppose the middle way is, you know, mine and yours, mine, yours and ours, that type of thing. And, and what I talk about is it, it's really about communication. The whole, you know, you've got to have a, well, you don't have to, but ideally set up having a money date, set shared goals, track them. So, you know, if you're saving for something, maybe track how much you've got. I mean, re do little rewards. So you maybe use your fun pot for um, when you reach a certain amount. So say if you're saving for a deposit for a house, for example, and you need, you work out, you need, What's a good amount? Um, you need £36,000 to buy for a deposit for a house and you're going to save over three years. So you need to, you know you need to put away £1,000 a month. So, you know, every £3,000 say, okay, let's go and celebrate. You know, we've, we've allocated some money in our fund pot. So every three months you can go out and celebrate that fact and kind of track it. And 
And I think the other thing is in, in part of the communication is, you know, I, as I said, I talk to my own clients about, you know, their emotional relationship with money. Um, it, they need to talk to their partner about that. And the other thing is couples counselling. I mean, if, it, if, the, if the communication and the talks aren't working out, then I think they need um, someone else to kind of a professional to intervene. Sure. It's a really tricky situation. It's, you know? it's very, very tricky, particularly yeah. if, you know, I'm not working with that person. So it's just all, you know, it's reported back and it's right. like, well, my partner doesn't want to do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you can yeah. just do the best you can and guide them in the best yeah. way you can. So, uh, but, and, and, but the first thing, communication, talk about communication. it. Communication. Absolutely. So one only... thing that, one oh, thing I ahead, see a lot, mm-hmm. I was going to say one thing I see a lot with couples is, and this is also about, you know, the Marie Kondo thing about things that bring you joy and value is that sometimes um, one partner won't like the other part, the other the other part of the couple spending money on a certain thing because it's something they don't value. But so I think one thing that's really important in relationships is to sit down and talk about the kind of things that you value and want to spend money on, yeah, yeah. and to make sure that each partner gets a bit of their own things and and you know the way you're spending money because and I've had that you know in relationships in the past as well you know I had a partner that was he was really into motorbikes and wanted to spend all his money on motorbikes and I was just like oh you know you're just wasting all this money on motorbikes but then he would criticize me if I bought a magazine you know so he thought that's just a waste you're just going to put them in the in the recycling bin you know in a week's time but you know I love reading magazines I didn't watch tv and he loved tinkering around with his motorbike and it you know and this was many years ago and it's certainly now I kind of look back and think oh you know we probably did something something's wrong there it kind of if you do get the opportunity to sit down and really look at all these things together and analyze it, it really kind of tells you a story a lot about who you both are, you know? So because you might go on autopilot for a while with your relationship, you've gotten together, you're doing things, but then when you got to kind of really sit down and see it like, and then see it in that way, financially, it's kind of, tells you a bit more about your story even, you know? And then it's like, well, should we adjust our, or, you know, uh, update our story in this way and include these things and take out these things, you know, et cetera. It's and, and you're right. And it's like, you know, when you're having that discussion or that talk with your partner about money, one of the things that I think is really key is to talk about how money was managed in your family. How did your parents manage money to try and understand, as you said, your story. And the exercise I talked about that I do with my clients, which is really powerful, this kind of Marie Kondo, how much joy or pleasure did that you know, discretionary spend give you, that's a really good ex- exercise for couples to do together to look at what they've spent money on in the past months or the past three months and say, how much joy did that give you and how much joy did that give me? And and so if one person's got a two and the other person's got a nine, then that's clear that they value that differently. And so the person with a two has to accept that actually that's really important to the other person. Mm-hmm. But if both value it at a three, then it has to go. Mm-hmm. And if both value added a nine, then that's really high on the list of priorities. So it's a really good exercise to do as a couple as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the more there's commitment through that, the better. Then yeah. you can make really good life or better life decisions as well. You know, so that will also leave you stress out, make you happier and probably... You know, more people do that, the happier we're all yeah. <laughs> in society in the end. Um, Vix, one last question that we have time for, and I really, really appreciate you have, being on this episode talking about such an important topic right now. Um, last question. Do you personally see debt as 
like a, a, like just you personally, like a bad thing, or do you think there's good debt that you can really help leverage in our life and our lifestyle? Or like, what is your personal view on debt itself? I do think there's good debt and there's bad debt. I think, um, you know, things like a mortgage, because it enables you to buy a home, somewhere to live. I think a mortgage is good debt and it's usually for an appreciating asset. I think education can be a good debt in particular if it means that you can leverage that to bring in more income downstream. I think what bad debt is, is really when you're spending money that you don't have on things that you want, but you can't afford. And I would look, you know, at other ways of um, being able to do that. Like the, the first thing I often talk to my clients about is, okay, how can you bring in more income? Can you negotiate a pay rise of your employee? Can you take can you take on a side hustle? Um, a lot of people want to go into business and it's a good opportunity to start doing that as a side hustle to see if you can bring in a bit more income. So then if you bring in that income, you know, then you have more money to spend on the things that you want sure. um, and then not need to go into debt. So I do think there's good debt and bad debt. Good debt is about leverage, which enables you to do something. But bad debt is basically spending money that you don't have um, on things that you want but don't need. Sure. Very good way to frame it. Vix, where can people find out more about you, possibly work with you if they're able to? Uh, follow yeah, you, so, engage with you. Yeah, so I'm on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and now also most recently TikTok. Woohoo! Um, I'm on um, I'm Vix Munro, Vix Munro on Instagram and TikTok. I have a Facebook page called Retire Rich. I have a Facebook community for women only, unfortunately. Sorry, guys. Uh, called the Retire Rich Community. And yeah, I'm everywhere and I can provide my links. So if anyone wants to, you know, get in touch, please do. Absolutely. We're going to include all of Vix's information in the show notes, the pinned comments on all the podcast platforms and all the visual platforms everywhere that we have a voice and can be seen. So make sure you connect with Vix and really, you know, especially if you're serious about trying to tackle your debt and expenses and get on the track in your own situation, your personal finances that you want to feel, you know, that weight off your chest, make sure you connect with Vix and work with her and definitely follow her. She posts a lot of great content. So thank you, Vix. Really appreciate you being back on Dev Keel. And it was a pleasure. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you. And we will see you all in the next episode. Take care, everyone, and have a great day.